Hello. Hey. This is Ergo. It is indeed. We are here. I'm Kiss. I am Damon. And this was a fun one that we're excited to bring you. We, uh... We went to a conference without leaving our houses, and all we have to show for it is a podcast. And that's all you'll ever need. <laughs> we bring to you with so much uh, excitement and joy the second volume of Unelectable in partnership with BYP, BlackYouthProject.com, as well as AMC Ally Media Conference. And it was a blast. So this past weekend on the 26th of July, 2020, uh, as part of AMC, we hosted Unelectable, which was a, initially a live podcast series. We did the first one in person at the Silver Room back in February, and then, you know, the world flipped upside down. Um, and so this one we did from the comfort of our own homes, but it, it was still super dynamic and got to know some new people and had a really great time bringing a great conversation together. And even though we didn't hit the interstate, we still felt that beautiful, beautiful bond between Chicago and Detroit that helped shape not only this event, but a few generations of radical movement history. And this event. <laughs> Certainly. Mostly this event. <laughs> <laughs> so we had our uh, our compatriot in podcasting, uh, Asha Ransby Sporn, back as our guest co-host for the show. Shout out ARS. ARS on AMC. Look at that. <laughs> uh, and then we were joined by Suwatu Salama Ra, who's a Detroit-based organizer, uh, with an incredible story that she shares. And Tawana Petty, who, you know, she's, is she's the shit. one of those fixtures, <laughs> one of those like Detroit people who's been doing this work. Uh, and I was just really glad to get to know her a little bit. Also, I've known her work and her face and her uh, and her words for a while. So it's cool to get to connect. So this conversation is about feminism and how we do and do not see that play out in mainstream political space, the relationship between movement and electoral politics. And a really beautiful thread that came out for me is this history of movement mothering mm. and motherhood outside of the gender binary. That really, really is the the fabric or the soil uh, that allows our, our, our efforts to grow. So big thanks to Tawana, Siwatu, and Asha for coming on the show. Thanks to uh, Emily Simons, who's a visual artist who did a live illustration uh, that you can see. We'll put it on the page for this episode at ergoradio.com, as well as on all of our socials. I love those illustrations where you can like see the different strands of the conversation visually represented. So if you're one of those visual people out there, check it out. Um, and as always, thanks to BYP for being such a great partner. You know, we've been making stuff together for almost a year now. And we have one more unelectable show. Uh, it's going to be in October, probably before the general election, if that happens. Um, <laughs> there's more certainty that we'll do an unelectable show than that there will be a federal election in November. Um, one quick ergo note after this episode, we're going to take a little bit of a break from recording new episodes. I think we've done enough for you you got like definitely a couple you missed. Um, we will still be putting out some, some new stuff, but it won't be uh, newly recorded interviews. Um, so for the month of August, uh, we got we to gotta rest up a little bit. We got to slow down. And we might still pull something out the bag. You never know with us, but I need to chill a little bit. So I'm going to take this Black August and try to reflect. You think you'll actually relax? I'll try. Relaxing has become its own stressful job. So I, I am working on it and trying to figure it out. But but I'm confident that, that August 2020, I will learn how to slow down a little bit. I hope. Real quick history lesson, just because I didn't know this and you introduced me to it. And I know this intro is going on too long. You you mentioned Black August. What is that? It's just a super interesting idea. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful, I guess you could call it like holiday, almost 
pushing towards like black liberatory spiritual tradition um, that comes out of the 60s and 70s and a lot of support out of political prisoners. Uh, so it begins around the organizing and the assassination of George Jackson in California prisons. Uh, so definitely check out the Soledad brothers to learn more about George Jackson's legacy, which really shaped a lot of Angela Davis's politics. Um, and out of that, there were just all of these things uh, of important births and important deaths of folks that happened in August. And it really got reawakened. Uh, once Mike Brown was killed in August in 2014. So often in August, in solidarity, you may see fasting or hunger strikes happening. Uh, you may see the uplift of political prisoners, but also it's a time to like do collective readings or have discussions or uh, watch films together as a way to kind of ground ourselves, reflect, make commitments. It's almost similar to like a Black liberatory Lent type of thing. Shout out to Black August. You know, it's really a good idea we work in like Black liberatory tradition because who else could be like, we're not running around in August. <laughs> like, that is yeah, wisdom we chill. all need. It's like, calm down yep. in August, everybody. Yep. It's, dude, it's too damn hot. So, <laughs> so we'll be back in a few weeks. Like we said, there'll be some new stuff that drops, uh, some past recordings and all that. But uh, for now, enjoy this episode, Unelectable Volume 2, Feminism Live at AMC 2020. Let's get it. And I think we're ready to go. Hey, hey, good afternoon, everybody. Welcome, welcome. We are Ergo, and you are here uh, for the second edition of our series, Unelectable, in partnership with Black Youth Project. I am Damon. I am Kiss. And we are very, very excited to get into a really rich conversation today. Uh, like I said, Unelectable has been a larger series we've been developing. In this iteration, we are talking about feminism and gender politics and how, you know, that doesn't really come into the forefront of our mainstream political conversation. Uh, so Dan, you want to tell them a little bit more about the series? Sure. So for those who don't know, what we do on a weekly basis in Chicago is showcase the folks reshaping the culture of our city and world for the more equitable and creative. So each week uh, we talk with artists, writers, organizers, movement workers, people reshaping the culture of the city. Uh, and we've been really excited over the last few months to be in partnership with Black Youth Project here in Chicago uh, and across the country and world. Uh, for this series called Unelectable, where we're uh, connecting the overlaps and tensions and contrasts between radical imagination work and electoral politics. So we did the first show back uh, before the world turned upside down in this particular way um, in February around socialism and protecting the public. And we're really excited to be in conversation today uh, with a wonderful set of guests talking about feminism. So before we get to them, uh, we want to get y'all involved you know, kind of a key component of what we do is always uh, audience participation and working with y'all. Uh, and that's no different here than uh, when we're all in the same room. So we've been building through this series what we call an unelectable platform. Dan, you want to tell them what the platform is? Yeah. So, you know, like I said a little bit in the opening, we are coming from the context that I think we are assuming a lot of the folks that Allied Media attracts are coming from of uh, a more grassroots, uh, uh, more holistic, more future visionary politic or political base. And we do not hear that conversation uh, happening in the mainstream political institutions that really govern and dominate our society. Uh, and so what we are trying to do is create a platform of the different political issues that are important to our movements, important to our communities, important to our work uh, that 
gets dismissed or fragmented or overshadowed because they are air quote not electable which usually just means they don't fit in with like the standards of dominant systems uh and so for me one of the things that's most important that i never hear is that i believe that our system of representative electoral politics is actually not democratic and we need a much more participatory much uh more grassroots uh, version of state power that actually connects to communities. And I don't hear that discussed really on any level. So that's part of my platform that I'm trying to bring to the, to the unelectable space. And so we're going to give you a little prompt and we want to ask you to throw into the chat some of the things you believe in, some of the things you want to see in the world uh, that are right now not deemed as electable. So the question is, and I'm pulling it up here on the screen real quick. What is something that you see necessary for a liberatory future that is currently considered unelectable or impossible? Um, so we're going to give you like two minutes to take a second, think about it, write your answer in the chat, and then we'll share a few of your answers. Cool? I asked that like you could just respond easily. Yes. Let us know if you have questions, but we're going to give you two minutes uh, to answer that question and go. Beautiful. We got some good answers coming into the prompt. Uh, you can keep sending them in as we start sharing them, uh, but we want to give you a little bit of a sense for those of you who aren't looking at the chat. And and what we're doing over these three events is taking all these answers and we're building a platform for what we demand from state power, from electoral politics. Yeah, so some of the things that are jumping out, I'm seeing, uh, obviously, shout out to all, all my abolitionists out there. I'm, I'm seeing ab abolition of carceral systems, naming police and prisons, but also uh, one that is not yet as popular, but the abolition of our current formation of schools. I'm seeing food and housing, free everything. But I'm also seeing some human things that usually don't get discussed. I see things such as humility, poetry, small-scale vision, uh, cooperative economics, free them all, genuine collaboration. Uh, so I'm seeing this mixture of having a more equitable like political economy and, and around resources and structures, but I'm also seeing a few things speaking towards like a higher vision of how people relate to each other. I also want to throw in there, I saw food sovereignty, no more native mascots, disability justice. I love humility. That's, that's great. And, and universal life care, uh, not just healthcare, but life care, childhood through elder and end of life. Cool. Those are great answers. Thanks for uh, thanks for adding to the platform, y'all. Yeah. So so that's the warm us up. That's to ground us in the space. You can continue to add to that. You know that we want to acknowledge the like the weirdness of our current reality, and so we are used to being in space together. Uh, and so with the absence of that, we want to encourage folks to keep being in conversation in the chat. So if things come to you and you want to add to the platform, keep doing that. Uh, but just also want to ground us in what we're here to talk about today a little bit and a little bit about our partners. So again, uh, we want to shout out Black Youth Project. It is everybody, once you're not using this today, go from every tab that you have, open up blackyouthproject.com, <laughs> give them all the hits that they needed. It's like amazing. when you're running up the streams for a friend. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Movie. We have like yeah. a stream farm for, for BYP. <laughs> uh, an amazing platform of Black journalists, thinkers, writers, activists, educators, artists, uh, really from across the country and across the world, talking about the, disc the, the things in the discourse that are affecting Black people, particularly young Black people. Uh, so always, always check them out and much love and shout out. And today in this unelectable conversation, like we said in our intro, we are talking about feminism, uh, which I understand as a praxis of possibility. Uh, so I think our political world and this like electable paradigm uh, is about fragmenting, is about what is practical 
pragmatic, what is already possible. Uh, and feminism, as I understand it, is not just, even though it is centrally a fight against patriarchy and gender violence, it is also a framework that creates new possibilities of relationships between human beings that are rooted in equity and justice. Uh, and we believe that's how the world should be. Uh, and so that also includes, you know, institutional office of power and obviously the way our movements are organized and are pushing uh, shapes the way we want to, you know, engage the state. So, you know, also understanding our position in relation to this topic uh, and being really grateful to the three brilliant organizers and movement workers who are in conversation with us today around this uh, around this theme. And also just the understanding that for us as movement workers and as people trying to reconfigure our relationships, uh, personal, professional movement relationships, uh, the tools and ideologies that we've learned from you know, feminist abolition organizing and, you know, this, this lineage of, of movement work toward liberation um, is what has been at the foundation of every good thing we've been able to build, both organizing-wise and especially communally and in our personal relationships. So, you know, we are here talking about this because everybody needs this and we are so excited to be helping to bring that conversation. And also there needs to be just a little bit of a cracking or or new path laid of how masculine and masculine center folks participate in the conversation. I think one of the things that is problematic uh, is when folks who benefit from patriarchy uh, do not feel like they have a role or responsibility to help continue that the conversation of feminism without taking up too much space or, or um, dominating those who have been leading the way that makes this conversation possible. So we are living in that contradiction and are trying to, you know, also deal with our own discomforts. But part of that is modeling the world that we want to see and the conversations we want to be happening in our communities. So to that point, we're going to get y'all writing again and sharing y'all's thoughts. Um, so our second prompt question, and this one's a little bit more involved, is actually a series of uh, three or four questions that you can choose from to respond to. It doesn't have to be a direct response, um, but something that it brings up, which are, how does feminism move us towards a more liberatory public life? How do you define the word for yourself? Uh, what has feminism already made possible in our political life? And what does it make possible for the future? Um, so we're going to share those. We're going to give you like three-ish minutes to respond. And it doesn't have to be a paragraph. It could be bullet points. It could be fragmented sentences. It could be poetics. It could be, you know, whatever whatever these questions elicit and whatever this word means to you. We want to hear your thoughts. All right. Let me, let me share that for you all real quick. And we'll throw another little instrumental on while y'all write. So as we're getting those last final answers, I'm seeing some beautiful answers that I just, you know, want to speak towards. One, the immediacy of our time right now, uh, as we are in a, a, a high point of movement moment, uh, that we must acknowledge that what we are seeing echoing throughout the country under the umbrellas of Movement for Black Lives or Black Lives Matter is completely made possible by a radical Black feminist tradition. Uh, I am seeing feminism expanding concepts of knowledge and freedom and expression of your humanity. Um, yeah, anything else you're pulling out, Kiss? I'm, I'm thinking some really great things. Yeah, um, I love uh, what Sita said, which is a new way of conceptualizing the meaning of work and love, as well as to the second question, an awareness of our body and being in relation to humanity, differences within our humanity, how to respond and celebrate those differences. I thought that was really beautiful. And then there was one other one. Oh yeah, Lisa said, 
honesty about identity, offering a culture of praxis, so a culture in which we put our ideas and our theories into action uh, and don't just let them live in the realm of theory, uh, and an insistence on radical imagination and love, as well as some critical connections. I thought that was, uh, that was great. So we're going to bring up someone to help us continue this conversation. We wanted to give us some space to, to ground us in some of our common understanding or maybe even our divergences, because uh, it's important to note that feminism itself is not a monolith. It is a word that has different weight and different connotation for other people. And so we want to be very aware of making sure we have common space. But now we need to continue the conversation, maybe move a little bit beyond the one-on-one. Because what's exciting about right now is when we plan this event, uh, like we said in the opening, this was pre-pandemic and pre-uprising. And so we're in a different reality where this conversation has a little bit more significance and weight. Uh, And so we have with us one of the people that I value and trust the most and I think can really help us guide uh, where we are right now in the world, particularly in terms of grassroots movement and radical organizing that is helping to lead the transformational time we're in. I don't want to ramble too much because I really love this person. (laughs) Uh, But everybody, wherever you are, make a lot of noise. This is an extremely honored appearance. Everybody make some noise for Asha Ransby Spore. (laughs) Welcome, Asha, a member of BYP 100, uh, as well as part of the new Emerging Black Abolitionist Network here in Chicago, helping to build the Defund CPD campaign. Hey there. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me. Of course. Asha, you've kind of become our like uh, now official guest co-host for this series. Um, and it's, uh, it's always good to have someone else helping us figure out how these questions can, can continue the conversation. So we want to start with the same prompt that we just gave the people in our lovely audience. For you, uh, what has feminism already made possible in our political life or in yours? And what do you think it makes possible for the future? Yeah, you know, so I root myself particularly in a legacy of of Black feminism and in Black queer feminism. So that's what I'll kind of speak from. But yeah, I think it has has made possible just like the truth that at any given time we're experiencing more than one thing. We are more than one thing. And we get to affirm that we have, you know, more than one aspect and element to to who we are um, and what we need and what we're trying to build. Yeah, I mean, explicitly, I think feminism and and particularly the feminisms that I talked about is about acknowledging the role of patriarchy and gender oppression, how those things work together with capitalism and with race uh, to push people down based on who they are and kind of set standards for what what it is that that you have to be to be deserving of justice, deserving of life, deserving of, of whatever else. It allows us an analysis to see that and then to, to shake that off and say, actually, there are all of these different ways to be uh, that are all deserving and valid. Yeah. So I want to I want to narrow the focus a little bit because over the years, you have helped me in this way of bringing some of the, the structural or theoretical nature of feminism or this tradition into praxis um, and into to real life. And the reason why is because we have shared organizing space and have had to respond to real things in real time and, and are, you know, developing together as this world is changing and transforming in front of us. So I want to go a little bit deeper. And we saw some of it in the chat that uh, movement as we know it right now has been really explicitly shaped, not just by these theories, Uh, but also by the way that we engage each other, the way we literally shape a room, the way 
we expect people to speak to each other the way decisions are made. Can you pull out a little bit more of the lineage of how you know our current iteration of Black liberatory movement is an example of this practice that is shaped by this Black radical feminism? Yeah, so I think that um, the moment we're in, right, it's an abolitionist moment. We're fighting to take power and, and money and all that away from the police. That's the thing that everybody's talking about. And a million percent, we would not be in that place or even have that framework of abolishing uh, these violent systems if it wasn't for the work, the organizing, and the ideas of Black feminists. Um, and I think the reason why you know, those ideas have come specifically from Black feminists is because we recognize that the systems that we have don't actually address the violence that we experience. Uh, I'm sure we'll get, you know, more into to the specifics of how that's been built up over time, but the systems that we have don't, don't address the types of violence that we experience and actually breed more gender violence, right? And so Black feminists have, have kind of taken on that responsibility of actually we need to abolish this and build something totally different in order for us to be, you know, safe, affirmed, cared for, and protected. And I think, you know, that legacy could even be drawn back even further to, to talk about the role of Black feminists. Maybe they weren't calling themselves that, but in the, in the movement to, to abolish slavery um, and the ways that people resisted the, the sexual and gender-based violence that existed under that violent anti-Black system that our ancestors abolished. So speaking of, of violent anti-Black systems that have been around for a long time, you know, the, the conversation here is at this intersection and tension between electoral politics and our like state political structure uh, and and this theme. So I, I'm curious for, for you, are there particular ways that you see our uh, electoral process and political establishment? There are a lot, um, but you see those as a foundation of this specifically patriarchal violent structure that we have. So the way that we elect people, the way we represent, nominate, all that, how, how does that feed into patriarchy, do you think? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, I feel like you can't answer that without going back to write like how this was built up, you know, initially in the, in the uh, early days of the United States or whatever, uh, it was property owning white men who could participate in our political system. Um, and now obviously that has, that has shifted. Folks have fought hard uh, for inclusion in and to, to you know, shift the terms of who can participate, but that is the legacy of, of the political system that we have and, and who it was built um, to represent and who it was built to allow to participate. So I don't know, I feel like that's like the, the main thing that I can say. Um, and that's super tied to the idea of uh, citizenship and you know there's like international feminisms I think gives us some frameworks to think about how we how we even resist the citizenship framework right where initially in this country that's something that was explicitly defined around capitalist and patriarchal values and now it's expanded but there's still a lot of people who are uh, excluded from that whether officially or unofficially by being, you know, denied certain rights or not treated as kind of like the subjects of who this country is for. And so I think the whole idea of, of citizenship and who the political system that we live under represents is not everyone who lives, you know, or exists on this land. And it's an incredibly yeah, patriarchal kind of framework. So I feel like that's a big part of what we have to dig into there. I hope that was okay. Well, we asked you a big question and you gave a big answer, but an excellent answer. Thank you. Uh, 
that that's about as big a question as I think we're capable of asking. <laughs> so not getting any bigger, just like one last question as we bring up uh, our next guest. I'm really excited to talk to. Um, so I just want to like name an honest thing about this series, uh, going into it, building it, doing it. It's very difficult for me because we are speaking in the shadows uh, of things I would rather not discuss, right? <laughs> like when I think about the presidential election, for example, the last few rounds of them, if I think about large federal politics, uh, it would be easy for me to just dismiss them or not engage them and focus on local or focus on campaigns or focus on, on community uh, because they feel so illegitimate. Uh, and but they have so much impact. And so this round, uh, that feeling is like boiling over, particularly in terms of relation to gender politics and violence. So the fact that we have from both major political parties, I, I want to be trigger careful in, in how we name it, uh, but pur purveyors of sexual violence are being uh, nominated by both parties. How does that speak to the way that our politics normalize patriarchy and sexual violence? And is there anything you could speak of like, uh, this may be too big of like the work that actually counteracts that. So I'm thinking of how She Safe, We Safe is like an alternative framework to what we hear being discussed on like the news and in most mainstream political bubbles. See, that feels like an even bigger question now. <laughs> make it smaller. You can, no, take, no, no, you can take whichever piece out you need. Um, let's try to answer the big questions. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the bottom line, right, is that both political parties that we have in this country uh, exist maybe through different strategies, but to uphold the status quo of the systems that we live under. Point blank period, patriarchy is a big part of that, normalizing sexual violence. I think um, particular kind of the, the culture around um, electoral politics or even just kind of like normalized positions of power in our society in general, white men in particular and men in general are taught that being in a position of power means you know you have you have power over other people and you can do what you want uh and it's that kind of society that we live under that conditions people to think hey i should be the president <laughs> uh and like make decisions for all these people and like run this big ass military and that's the same kind of mindset that means that uh people think that they can can violate uh women and other gender oppressed people uh that, that they're around, that they don't have to respect consent and that they can kind of dominate. I think there's there's some level of that to even get to the point of being like a, a wealthy person in this society or, you know, arguably a political leader at that level. Uh, and I think those things go kind of, kind of hand in hand and people running for president, that's like someone running to be the commander in chief of the U.S. military, which is also arguably like one of the largest institutions perpetuating sexual violence in the world. So anyway, I think those things are kind of tied up. Yeah, that's like as far as into the answer maybe as I <laughs> can get. No, but but I, I think that it's really helpful that understanding of uh, like our political structure at its core, among other things, being a violation of consent. Um, and that that's useful on a lot of on a lot of levels. Um, Asha, you willing to stay on and be our, our guest co-host through the rest of the show? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Beautiful. Uh, Dame, you want to uh, direct us where we're going? Very, very, very excited. Um, I, I've, I've been learning the story recently, uh, so I'm, I'm excited to learn more, uh, but I've already been moved and deeply impacted. Uh, I am nervous around my pronunciation 
pronunciations because I have a super colonized tongue. And so I don't want to mess this up because I'm very excited. Uh, but I want to welcome to the proverbial stage Suwatu Salama Ra an organizer, an environmental organizer based out of Michigan, whose uh, story speaks personally to the structural issues that we're talking about, but I think also offers ways that our humanity prevails and offers notions of survivorship that brings us towards new possibilities. Hey there. Hey. Hello. What's going welcome. on, y'all? Welcome, welcome to Unelectable. Shout, also, shout out to your bookshelf. You, uh, you, you did the like the, the like professional Zoom thing. I like my bookshelf <laughs> is nowhere near organized enough for people to see it in public. Look, it was. I set this up just for this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this was. This was just for y'all. Um. So why don't we start the same place we we, we started throughout, which is uh for you personally and in your you know and in the work. What has feminism already made possible in our political life and what does it make possible for our future? Yeah, um, when I think of um, what has feminism um, made possible, I think already, I think of just the historical movements that we have known to shape uh, our resistance and uh, our way of fighting back this brutal system for thousands of years. And I think of even uh, today, I'm thinking of like, all of the mamas, all of the aunts, all of the sisters who are holding down families, primarily here in Detroit, right? Because I'm thinking of all of the mamas and sisters who actually make up 73% of um, single households um, who are holding down, taking care of the bills, taking care of families, raising these babies, not only their babies, but the community's babies, the babies that's on the block. Um, and then also showing up in justice spaces where that are uh, helping to shake the movement that we're all seeing right now in these streets of our folks, right? We were, uh, I'm thinking about all of the, the homies and all of the mamas um, that bring their children to these spaces, which was in a way of how I was raised, right? My mama, who's been an activist and organizer here in Detroit for over 40 years, that's what it was. It was like, you're going to get this, you're going to get this dosage of, of justice, right? Come on, you know, like in, in drag all of these babies to spaces like, you know, spaces like this one, even the AMC of just, you know, participating as a young, very young girl um, and listening to the language of justice. Um, and so feminism and, and the framework um, around it has carried this movement on its shoulders and made it what it was. It was the resistance and the breakthrough of, of being in spaces, primarily uh, um, in large spaces that, um, that was specifically meant to bring communities together, Skillshare and things like that, where Black folks, primarily Black women, felt unheard and decided to say, you know what, screw this agenda, screw this topic. If it's not pertaining to what it, what it, what it, what we should be talking about with our folks, then oftentimes you would see um, the meeting in the corners of spaces, and the meeting normally not with a bigger group, and then taking that what comes out of those out of those smaller spaces like the Black caucuses. Um, things like that, then that we have seen shape or pivot the movement in a way um, for a very, very long time. It's made so much possible. It's made, uh, it's made me possible. It's made my children possible. It's made my freedom possible. It was feminism that freed me from prison. It was all of the mamas who showed up on our, on our, on our porch with their children in a snowstorm. Um, and all of our folks, um, not just femmes, but also gender, uh, other gender uh, oppressed people who showed up on that doorstep and was like, yo, what can we do, Sawatu? What, you know, um, how, how can we help you? How can we support you? 
and how can we walk with you? And that's literally what freed me from prison. Um, so it, 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 it makes the uh, unimaginable imaginable. It makes the impossible possible. And it also makes it inevitable mm. for sure. I, I love, yeah. Inevitable is better than possible for sure. I know you, you've told the story many times and as much or as little of the details uh, as you want to get into, but just for context, um, how that fight became personalized in that way and, and, and the story of, uh, of the fight for your freedom, basically. Uh, could, could you give just like a, a little description of what that story is? Yeah. Um, so it's so easy for our folks to get tangled in the system. Um, because for, for first and foremost, uh, our communities do not even have the necessary things to live their lives, right? You know what I'm saying? And so we're very much vulnerable to be in a position where we will have to experience some part of this brutal system, primarily the criminal injustice system. Where right now here in Detroit, uh, you know, we have things like facial recognition. We we, we have the highest rates of poverty. We have and also we are living in such uh, polluted communities. Um, we have no jobs. Our schools have been taken over. And the current administration has totally uh, disregarded the Black woman, the, the, the responsibilities of the Black woman here in Detroit who holds up the city um, and her needs. As organizers, right, as organizers in Detroit, we meet and we work to change our, our society and our communities, but then have to return back to our communities that are still suffering. Um, and somewhat kind of dangerous, you know what I'm saying? And so I found myself in a situation where I had to uh, think quickly and protect myself and my family. And I was totally uh, punished for that. Um, I was not given the opportunity to, or the benefit of feeling fearful. I was only, I could only have been an angry Black woman. And that's what uh, was painted of me um, and the system when a non-majority um, people of color jury convicted me of felonious assault here in Detroit, then was uh, expected to serve two years in prison. I went through something that I thought I had under control and I didn't. It was like, and, and as many of our folks were, were, were faced with things that we try to work through ourselves without letting the community know. And then at the last minute, I was like, yo, I need help. I am tangled so tightly and I didn't know how to get out of it. And that's when I reached out to my community and my community was like, Yo, so watch. Why didn't you tell us? Like, what, 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 like, why didn't you tell us? Like, what was going on? And it was simply because I thought I had it under control. Me and my family. Um, the magical part of it was that um, the people who showed up on our on our doorsteps were community organizers, uh, educators, food warriors, water warriors, environmental justice organizers, media justice organizers, childcare workers. Everyone who you can think of that that holds up this movement and it, and, and it's, it, it, their projection of work is justice and, 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 and embodying it. Um, they were showed up on the porch with like butcher paper, markers, computers, and children and food. Um, and, and we started to strategize against the system that we, we did not know. Um, we knew it was brutal and that we knew it was effed up and we knew, um, we knew about, uh, state violence, we know about um, these addictive punitive practices that we're all trying to dismantle. We knew about it, you know what I'm saying? But it was different when we had one in it. So we had to fight the system while, while in the system, right? And, um, that, but, but also uh, thinking about how painful it was and how traumatic it was 
it was also at the same time some of the most beautiful uh, moments that I have ever experienced in my lifetime. And I also say that for my mother who grew up in segregation, right, and during the 50s. And she also talks about how this process, this this moment of connection that was centered around freedom and liberation was the most inspiring moment that she's ever been part of. And so that's what that's what you know the freedom team is focused around around how can we build the true capacity um, and momentum that the movement needs by desiloing ourselves like we did in the way in which they came. How can we continue to do that to free more and more people from prisons and jails? And so we've seen some some beautiful things, right? We've seen some amazing, amazing things. We've done some amazing things. Um, but that's all because of this movement and, and, and the community that we all belong to. Mm, beautiful. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for sharing with us. So I wanted to just connect. You talked about how you were punished, right, in a way that you shouldn't have been. Um, in this past year, there's been a lot of conversation around the crime bill because of Joe Biden, um, which includes, of course, the Violence Against Women Act. Hopefully, you know, folks that have heard more conversations kind of critiquing this idea of like carceral feminism uh, or white feminism that tries to use policing and prisons to address gender violence in ways that ends up harming our people. And so I guess I have like a kind of a twofold question. Um, so just grounding in like that cost of a version of feminism that isn't inclusive of Black folks, isn't inclusive of trans folks, isn't inclusive of all the folks who are impacted by by gender oppression in, in these different ways. Like, can you explain how you understand the violence of patriarchy and systems of incarceration and policing working together? And then the second piece of the question is you talked about, you know, calling on community and uh, maybe feeling in, in a moment like like you wish you had called on them sooner. What is that vision of, you know, a more inclusive version of feminism? What does that offer for the kinds of protections and healing uh, that we actually need for for women, for Black women, for trans folks, for for folks who are experiencing gender oppression? I hope that wasn't too many (laughs) pieces of the question. You just joined us in the big question party. It's really fun. Welcome to the party. Team big question. Okay. (laughs) All day. (laughs) Lead team big question over here. Um, I'm going to try my best. I think for the first part of the question that I'm going to try to answer is um, what I realized when I was in prison was the amount of women uh, and people who have been there for what we consider crimes of survival. Um, And so we have an opportunity to reshape what we criminalize, right? And, um, And I think this is the perfect time to to reshape and challenge how we criminalize um, poverty, and we shouldn't criminalize poverty at all. And that's right, and, and that we could see a total decrease in the amount of people that is funneled through the system. It's not a coincidence that here in Detroit, seventy uh, percent of Detroiters find themselves in court over traffic um, violations because all of us are driving without insurance um, because it's too hella expensive. You know, and we're trying to raise these babies. We're trying to live our lives. We're trying to show up to jobs. We're trying to take care of our communities. But yet, um, so it's it's a total punishable system that is punishing um, the poor. When we think about who are those people, most of them are mamas. You know, who who've been had who've had to make decisions on simply how to survive. Um, and so we criminalize that. And so I think about all of the the women who um, were in prison 
literally because they were taking care of somebody, you know. So a lot of the women who were who were there for aid and embedding, um, who let someone come to their house, and then, and often that was that was our house. That was like that was the house that my mama kind of raised in our community. It was like if people were running away from harmful, violent situations, that often would uh, if the police got involved, someone was going to prison. Our house was that safe space. But and eventually the house was foreclosed on and it was no longer part of the community, which then uh, diminishes the community greatly in another way. Right. You know, it was heartbreaking to see uh, all of our folks who are the, actually the most talented, uh, expressive people who I've ever met in prison because of uh, because they just simply wanted to survive. Um, I, when, when I think of that question, I think of my best friend who um, who actually just passed away in November, who uh, couldn't understand how she could not fill up a grocery cart full of food and walk out of the store with it, you know, <laughs> and most people would be like, you know, like you can't do that. You can't take food. But it was like, you should totally be able to fill up a grocery cart if you need if you and your family needed it and walked out with it without paying any money. That's the world that we want to live in, where no one should be um, criminalized for the things that they need if they don't have it. Um, and and she actually went to jail that she went she went to jail for that. And she was like, they called me Tissy. She was like, Tissy, I cannot understand why I could not leave with that with that grocery cart of food. And I was like. You're right. You're right, baby. You you should have totally been able. But no, nobody, everybody else was like, you know. <laughs> right, but they <laughs> like, can't give no, a good reason either. They just can say you can't ask <laughs> right. that question. Exactly. You can't do that, right? But that's but that is the system. And and uh and so how do we even build like a feminist economy where that can reflect what that looks like, you know, things like that. Mm. Yeah, that, that's beautiful. My, also, my college roommate was uh, a staunch supporter of this grocery store philosophy. That's, that's, how, <laughs> that's how we got there. To, may, there may be years. more people yeah. on this political <laughs> party. Needed, than we, have. Yeah. we we have to organize around this. Um, so one of the things that I, I heard you in, in each of the ways you described or answered all of our questions is uh, you keep talking about these babies and you keep talking about the mamas. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, we don't want to reduce mm-hmm. femininity or womanhood to to motherhood right but also understanding Mm -hmm. the really important notion of lineage that comes up a lot in our show and work and so the notion of nurturing reproduction lineage building i heard you say that you were one of those babies one of those movement babies and now we have a new generation of them uh what are the things that you hear the babies picking up on that gives us more of this possibility of how we can reorganize our relationships moving forward and what are the what are maybe one thing you want to make sure that the babies get right now from our new understanding that the world is providing us and shout out to the mamas <laughs> shout out to the mamas you know whether you have carried or you carried your community and you mothered your community um all of it is the same um and also masculine people can mother um mothering is a practice um and so i, I think i said this yesterday around like if we could gift something to our children, it would for sure be this movement. It, 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 and so gifting it to that to our children is teaching them the language of justice at a very young age. Um, and, and so that uh, they are able to conceptualize what this gift is and, and what, it, what it would mean. But also I wanna also like talk about um, the 
amazement of these children that we're seeing right now, right? I'm a firm believer that uh, we are born in, into the world at a, at, in the timing that we choose. And so these babies that are being born right now are amazing. <laughs> and they coming in with special gifts that are like, man, they're so sharp. Um, you know what I'm saying? And so like, how do we, how do we make sure that we give them the things that we need so that they are the ones that are pivoting the movement and, 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 and scanning and scaling um, in a way that uh, humanity needs, needs to be. If we could gift them anything, it would be the movement. And, uh, you know, my mama raised me. Uh, my mama wasn't just my mama. I had many mamas, many, many mamas. I had many, many fathers, uh, all the aunties and uncles, um, you know what I'm saying, from many different communities. And that's the best thing. That's how you, you want to raise you want to raise those babies within community. This system is so messed up and so brutal that in a way they will experience it. Um, they will experience it in some shape or form. And to have the movement uh, be by your side is the best. It's like an antidote. Yeah, and to know that they're going to show up with butcher paper and laptops and and plans and a <laughs> and, and a lineage beyond it. You know? <laughs> butcher paper goes a long yeah, way. And we're it really this. does. For sure. Thank you so much for for being with us and being in conversation. You want to stay on the line with us uh, as we bring up our last guest, and then we'll ask y'all all something at the end. First of all, this last guest, y'all, is so lit. I love <laughs> love love this last guest. You're an excellent hype person as yeah. well for our last guest. That was that was strong. <laughs> would you like to would you like to introduce? We we can pass the introduction to oh, yeah. Do it. Do it. Go for it. The magnificent, the infamous, the amazing Tawana Petty, uh Detroit's own organizing, uh anti racist organizer, activist who is holding down Detroit, holding the, uh, Detroit on their shoulders speaking for the people, have made so many things possible because their voices are being heard in the room. When she speaks, she's loud. When she right. speaks, we feel it. And then not only do, does it just, does she just speak, but also it's translated into policy um, and practice and hit right here in the city of Detroit. Um, and we welcome uh, the amazing and someone who I adore and look to um, Oh man! Wow! I send you those uh, dollars after this. (laughs) No, people, you should be able to hire an introducer. That's a a lane that needs to be filled. Part of the rider. But Tawana, thank you so much for being here with us. We know that you've been um, in other things in the conference as, you know, you you are an AMC queen. Uh, (laughs) So thank you for coming to the after party. I know you was at the big show a little bit earlier and continuing in conversation. So one of the things I'm excited, even if we can't talk in depth about it, is just the Chicago-Detroit connection that's happening right now. Uh, I know I can speak for the three of us that are on this side uh, of the line that like Detroit means a whole lot to our development and so I'm just really honored because I know how important you have been to that space and that community and continuing the legacy of the bogs and all of the work uh, of what Detroit means to not just our city but the world Uh, it's embarrassing because for as a young person uh, I was taught of Detroit as this place of deficit and in my adult life it has been this beacon or this shining example or something I aspire towards Uh, so I'm just I just want to ground us in that honor A double intro, even. So welcome. (laughs) Yeah, listen, keep going. I mean, we got some time left. We can just go down the line. Uh, Tawana, let's start the same place. Uh, We started with our two other guests. Uh, For you and your thinking and your understanding 
uh, what has feminism already made possible in our public political life? Uh, and what does it make possible for the future? Ashe, let me let me first lift up. Okay, I stand on the shoulders of Asha's mama and Sawatu's mama. Let's just be real, okay? So I, I just got to, as a yelder, young elder stepping into this thing, Ooh, I'm somewhere yelder, in the middle. Yelder. I'm a yelder, y'all. I'm a yelder. Don't let the white hair fool you. I'm standing on the <laughs> shoulders, right? And um, and so, and I, I want to lift up the fact that uh, Sawatu nurtured my son, okay? Was my mm. son's youth leader. Let's go. Let's talk about lineage. And now my baby, well, excuse me, my 20-something-year-old is um, in Chicago, organizing you Chicago Law. So we'll talk about that offline. Mm-hmm. So talk about how the, the cycle just continues. And you talk about the village and how we pass on the legacy of this work. So Watu talked about gifting the movement and the movement was gifted to me, you know. And so that's the that is the trajectory that I'm entering this space in. And so when I think of feminism, I think of our power to like reclaim, reshape, transform language. Um, we not we not in movements against anti-racism talking about, oh, I'm an ally. We don't we won't stand for that kind of stuff no more. We talking about you either in collective liberation, co-liberation or you just not in it. And so I, I'm seeing feminist spaces just really say, like, look, this is what we're going to accept in this moment and nothing less. And you either on the right side of history or you're not. Um, and so I, I'm, I, I come up in Detroit you know, where like Sawatu said, most of the households are like predominantly black women led, right? And I grew up thinking of that as a deficit. Uh, as you spoke to Damon, we come up under many decades of propaganda assault. And it was, it's really difficult not to internalize that as like who you are as a human being. But these, not, not just the mamas, who are raising families, but uh, as Suwatu said, the 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 people in our community on our blocks making sure if your water was off, you had a water hose running through your window. The people who made sure that if you did not have food, that somebody was cooking you dinner. The people who had who look wasn't thinking about calling police as a first line of defense. They like where he at? We about to roll down there, you know. And so I come from that type of. Um, mentality. And I was um, miseducated just like anybody else in growing up and thinking that, okay, I needed these systems to protect me. But that inner feminism in me told me that, like you all have already said, that none of those things have created safety for me. I'm a survivor of many things and I have been a nurturer of many people. And I know that that comes from a long, long history of the Harriet Tubman's of the world and so many other folks who said, look, either you're going to follow with me or, well, we know what happened if you don't follow suit. And so, um, yeah, feminism has, has paved the way for me to be courageous in a way that when I wasn't tuned into um, uh, feminism as an ideology, that I did not have the courage to stand up against some of these systems that I am now engaged against and so i could keep going i talk a lot i'm a poet you know damien you're a poet um (laughs) it's real easy it's real hard to shut me up so i'm gonna stop there (laughs) you know in that you said you're a poet you also do like eight million other things too um and and so i want to kind of focus on a couple of those uh in the lens of this conversation um 
So specifically, I know, and, and Suwat, you feel free to chime in on this as well, but for both of y'all who have done work around water rights and environmental destruction, um, you know, I, I think more and more I'm seeing as part of the, you know, legacy of this, uh, of this feminist abolition organizing, the understanding of environmental destruction as a, a violent patriarchal act as well. And so I'm curious for y'all, how do you see... Um, patriarchy and misogyny and those logics condoning and making possible environmental destruction? I mean, tentacles of white supremacy, right? They're all like, you know, these, these little violent systems uh, that are connected to a larger power structure. Um, and so I can't think about environment without thinking about white supremacy. I can't think about um, the, the, the lack of resources without thinking about white supremacy. I can't think about, you know, data extraction, mass surveillance, criminalization, you know, hyper-policing without thinking about the system of white supremacy. And so always taking it back to like that core system that is feeding all these uh, tentacles of that system um, and making it so that we we don't tap into feminism as a solution, as an alternative vision. Um, and uh, one of you all referenced earlier um, in just thinking about uh, the, the schooling system, right? Uh, somebody chimed in about like abolishing schools, right? I come under the lineage of Grace Lee Boggs where, you know, it may, it was made very clear to me that there's a difference between schooling and education, Right. You know, there's a difference between the job system and meaningful work. And so, like, I'm always trying to tie into that um, and thinking about how we undo these systems. But I always got to keep my eye on the prize and think about that overarching system that keeps feeding these tentacles um, that we somehow internalize, which is why folks are feeling like they can't abolish these systems. I'll I'll stop there and let Sawatu. <laughs> Your eyebrows went all the way up. You were like, "I'm not, I'm not jumping in." <laughs> uh, Dame, you have anything you want to add there? I was, I was gonna let Asha hop in. Yeah. I'm scared. I know where Asha come from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what that means, but um, I do want to just like affirm the, you know, Black Movement Mamas um, um, shout out. Uh, that feels like important to bring into this conversation, um, and for me, important in in a conversation about Detroit. Uh, Cause that's where my, my parents are both from and kind of how I learned like what capitalism was, was through stories about Detroit, how my um, you know, how my grandmothers and grandfathers got there through the great migration, you know, what it was like to, to live as domestic workers and workers in, you know, offshoots of the auto industry. And then what it was like for that to end and the kind of destruction of, of corporate abandonment or however you want to frame that. Um, and then out of that, you know, I feel like there's Damon mentioned it, you mentioned it, uh, so many experiments in kind of building a new, you know, Damon is a Grace and James Lee Boggs stan. So just just to put that out there for you. <laughs> we we, we, we fanboy <laughs> over here, yeah. <laughs> um, it's it's like real deep, real deep. And he's brought me uh into that as well. And so yeah, there's just like a lot of experiments out of that in what the world we're trying to build can look like in Detroit. And so I, I'm curious for you, uh, Tawana and Sawatu, if you want to speak to it as well, uh, how do you see the kind of reimagination and recreation and some of those experiments at building the society we want to live in in Detroit as feminist projects? Yeah, Ashe, thank you for that. 
Um, and yeah, knowing where you come from, you, hell, you, you said it after you come from like you Detroit, like we, you've been adopted, even <laughs> if you don't even know about it, but, um, <laughs> it's always tapping back into imagination because so much of this experiment against us has been to quell our imagination. It's been to dehumanize us to a, to such a degree that we are unable to realize alternative systems are already in existence, right? A lot of folks say another world is possible and the Boggs have always taught me another world is happening. Always recognizing that, you know, there's nothing new under the sun, keeping in mind that there are so many that have come before us and that are standing with us and that when we're not passing torches, right? We're continuing. This is this is a marathon. This is, this is um, looking back and seeing the ancestors behind you and the people in front of you and you somewhere in the middle. And so like one of the things that um, counter-revolution does is it tries to make us think that there's only a few of us. There's only a couple of charismatic, patriarchal male figureheads that own the movement. And what feminism um, and being attuned to history and political education has taught me is that it's always been a groundswell of us. They're in the homes, they're in the classrooms, they're in the school systems, uh, trying to dismantle stuff from the inside out. Um, And so, yeah, I will say that being connected to that history and always like Grace would call you at seven in the morning and say, did you read the New York Times this morning? And I'm like, it's Saturday, Grace. And she's like, I'll see you at 730. You know what I'm saying? So it was like (laughs) it was like you really had to be attuned to not just what as she would always say, what time it is on the clock of the world. But like, what time is it on the clock of your heart? What time is it on the clock of Detroit? And like, how does that connect to other spaces, other organizers, organizers and a lineage that you come from, the legacy and a lineage that you come from? And so that's why I'm always tapping into like, if I know you're kin and I know what you're kin about, then I know that I can roll with you even if we don't get to spend a lot of time together. And so, and I think that's also a feminist practice. Yeah, so I, I just have, like, as I'm in it, right, just so much gratitude for this discussion, right? Like, it, it is like checking and connecting so many of the boxes that feed me, that, that grow me, that, that challenge me. Uh, and so, you know, as we are evoking the legacy of the bogs, w- what I attribute to them and why they've impacted me so much is because their writing and then the legacy of their work and what community has come out of that is presenting, modeling, demonstrating a fuller, more holistic understanding of human beings and humanity and life, and then the relationship between human beings and life. And I think feminism, as I, you know, as we've been shouting out, but have not yet specifically named Barbara Ransby and Kathy Cohen, and I got Ella Baker poster behind me, I think is is in direct flow of that same project of just expanding humanity and creating more healthy relationships. And so this is great, and this is encouraging, and that's why I like doing this. But this series is to this thing that's really frustrating is my perception is that there is a intentional, if not ignorant absence of this conversation in spaces of institutional power, particularly folks who get elected, who spend a lot of money on commercials and posters and have really like vapid bullshit platforms. Uh, this conversation is not being had in the space where it could potentially be the most. Imp- well, I don't even want to say that because in our spaces are more impactful, but spaces of power right in the electoral space. But that's my assumption. That's my feeling. That's my frustration. I know multiple things can be happening at once. I know there can be counterexamples. So for you and your perspective, that's really down with your folks and building with people 
in this crazy charade of our electoral circuses. Are you seeing this conversation happening and being present or is it absent in a certain type of way or rejected in a way that you can help pull out as to why I don't hear that conversation? Does that make sense? So I think of um, like when Tom Tawana was just talking about how this is a marathon. And and, and so if we, in, in a way, y'all, we got to take a step back and just look at what what is going on right now. And right now you're seeing the, the uprisings in the streets and also how it then transformed into the conversations and the resistance that is happening within our organiza- organizations and the nonprofit sector right now. Uh, all of the, the, the Black femmes and organizers who are challenging upper leadership within big green organizations that are holding down all of the funds and, and, and you know what I'm saying, and holding on, holding on all of the power and don't want to, you know, relinquish none of it. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, so we see a lot of, the, a lot of that happening um, through a feminist uh, framework and thinking. It's going to happen. You know, just like how we say, like, you know, abolition ain't going to happen in five years or 10 years or probably not even 20 or even 50. But yet this is a generational piece of work that is that must must happen um, generation after generation after generation. And so I think we're in a beautiful time right now in terms of the world that we want to see. It's, it's a struggle. It's, it's painful, but yet beautiful and joyful at the same time to see where we're going. Um, so that's why I think <laughs> for sure. Give this movement to the to your babies and, and to all babies, um, so that 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 eventually, yes, this framework and idea uh, um, is implemented and uh, it is the foundation within the electoral um, positions of power. And you know what I'm saying. And eventually, you know what I'm saying. We're gonna get to where we want to get to. So it's just being gentle with the movement. You know what I'm saying. And 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 not trying to push it out of its its order, but yet it's it's perfectly where it, where it should be, you know what I'm saying? And that is because of the resistance of our folks um, and, and how we're showing up right now. And so we're naming the moment and it's what it is right now. So, but I, I think what is coming is yet for us to see, you know what I'm saying? So. Beautiful. Tawana, you, you want to add anything? Yeah, Ashe. Ashe to everything that Sawatu just said. Like, I'm, I'm, I see the movement as like a tarantula, right? And like a lot of folks are like terrified of spiders. I'm one of them. Um, but in order to see, when I see it, the movement in that way, it lets me push against this, uh, deception that we've been fed about siloing, right? I'm looking at, um, uh, the mycelium under the earth, like the, 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 the movement being like touching all of these different tentacles. Right. And so like, they have tentacles, the tentacles of white supremacy. We got the tarantula, you know what I'm saying? And so like everybody's doing their thing. Like you got people that are like feeding families. Like I saw that during COVID, right? You know, um, this perception that we don't look out for each other. Like people was making sure people ate, you know what I'm saying? During COVID. Now we didn't figure everything out. We didn't solve all the things, but we really did start to talk about, you know, folks more mainstream start to talk about like mutual aid, but we, we was like, oh no, we got this. We already know that Brenda and them down the street don't have enough food for these babies that's about to be home um, when they could normally would be in school getting breakfast and lunch, right? And so I'm, I'm thinking of all the ways that we show up and not like squashing activism to be like the only, only the people who can make it to the protest. Um, as someone who lives with chronic, chronic illnesses, right? It really did lift up like, how ableist our movements could be 
um, and like why um, we need to make sure that policy addresses some of those things. Um, and so I've been a part of uh, like working to amend the charter um, here in the city, as well as pushing for legislation against facial recognition for the last couple of years, um, in addition to ordinances and other things when, you know, like five years ago, you couldn't have talked to me about electoral anything. You couldn't have <laughs> told me that I was going to be sent down with any city government official working on anything. Um, Cause I was just like, you know, look, they doing that crap over there and I'm going to work on this thing over here. But what I'm realizing is that I got to pursue the arsonist because we got to stop putting out fires. You know what I'm saying? Mm. And so sometimes you got to get in there into the structure you know what I'm saying? And like find out where the explosion is and work from your from the inside out. That don't mean you have to be employed by those folks, but it does mean that um, that you have to have be in communication with those folks. And so, yeah, I've been spending quite a lot of time. Hell, you know, I'll tell you something. The pandemic has worked the hell out of me. I, I don't know how I'm 15, 16 hour days um, at home, but um it has worked the hell out of me, but it has also uh, made it so that I can imagine what the systems can be for all the folks who have been relegated to the margins and at home and not able to participate mm. in the ways that some of us have been able to. Um, and so, yeah, I'll say uh, politics plays a role in that. This election is very important. Of course, once again, we don't have the people we deserve running. Um, but I think that we've now been able to figure out uh, that they are not the end all be all and that there are local elections and local policy and other things that we can implement to undo some of their power. Yeah. And, and the, all the energy of that work doesn't get to your point about the like fallacy of silos siloed into that one type of organizing work around one campaign. It's like there's so much more happening here than there is happening there. <laughs> you know, this is where the work happens. Um, as we are running low on time, um, we wanted to ask y'all each one more question. It was the question that we asked our wonderful audience at the beginning, which is what's something for you that you believe is a necessity for a liberatory future that right now uh, is considered unelectable or impossible? We could just go down the line. Ash, you want to give it, you want to kick us off? Uh, you gave them two minutes, but you just, you know, kicked it, kicked it to me. <laughs> <laughs> but you've had to answer this question before. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I had, I had different answers, um, before, but, um, yeah, I mean, I feel like just to affirm, I think, you know, and then I hope this isn't too wordy of an answer, but to connect to like the conversation we're just having, you know, I think in a lot of, you know, more mainstream, like political circles, like people like to kind of silo look these are the women's issues and we talk about abortion and these are the, you know, race issues. And we talk about the police and, and kind of not how things are, are interconnected. But I love that, you know, the conversation we've centered so much around free food for people. Like that's been a big part of our conversation as like that being a feminist issue. So, uh, and a really beautiful part of like these abolitionist mutual aid networks of like, literally like people would be starving in this pandemic if it wasn't, for everyday people giving out free groceries in Chicago in the movement, like when the looting and the protests were happening, like people were outside the grocery store giving away free food and free diapers and liberating that shit. So anyway, just to connect that in, but I feel like, yeah, free food, liberating food and having everyone have access to that. I haven't seen anyone campaign on that platform yet, but I would like to. <laughs> the free food platform is a platform I can get behind. 
Uh, Let's keep going. Suwatu, what would you add to the platform? I would add the absolute uh, critical leadership of incarcerated and formerly incarcerated, currently incarcerated people to this conversation. I believe that uh, we must work towards freeing people from prison um, and jails. I I see a a future that is free of police pollution and poverty. Um, And so we must continue to talk about that and normalize it. I, 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 I truly, you know what I'm saying? I think about Angela Davis when, and her reflections around uh, this moment and how, you know, back in the day, you know what I'm saying? When she was in the streets, she was about the only one that was like, this will happen. You know what I'm saying? This will happen and, and look where we are right now. Um, so it's our duty to, to, to continue to um, imagine radically and dream deep for that will be the makeup of our future. You know what I'm saying? So this is a wonderful time, as Grace said, this is a wonderful time to be alive. This is a revolutionary time to be alive. Uh, we are in the midst of a spiritual uprising and this is what it is. Um, so be excited, y'all. Be be hyped, be lit. You know what I'm saying? Be all of those things, um, even through the pain and hurt and harm. And so I'm lit because of y'all. I'm, I'm hyped because of y'all and I'm so excited for my children's future and y'all children's future and everybody that you love and and uh and care about i say i'm joining the free food movement that's for sure um yeah because it makes no damn sense for like buildings to have food in them and people be starving like i just can't even wrap my head around that people spit me food is expiring in literal institutions while people dying as one of my comrades would say in quiet desperation you know what i'm saying and so like that just the psychology, like what type of human being do you have to be to be okay with that? What type of human being do you have to be to be okay with people not having water during a pandemic or at any point, you know? And so, yeah, it's, it's really interrogating like the, the dehumanization that has been internalized by so many of us um, and uh, thinking through like what it's going to take to re-spirit us on a level that makes sure that nobody, nobody feels unsafe. Nobody is not fed. Nobody is unhoused. Nobody is dehydrated. You know what I'm saying? And and all of us uh, get to have uh, work that is meaningful and be educated of our history. And so there, you know, there's so much that I want to um, see into fruition. But I'm gonna just end with this and say uh, another grace quote is: "This is a symbol of how giants fall." Falling, y'all. Mm. She she had quotes for days for, for the like, yeah, all the bars. <laughs> Grace Lee bars. bars, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to add to the platform, just I, I don't know if everyone caught it, but like my internet froze up and kicked me off in the middle. And I was able to get back on. And I just want to add free Wi-Fi to the platform. <laughs> like I'm joking, but I honestly no, during in, the pandemic, yeah. you know. Locate, low key. Yeah. Shout out to the Equitable Internet Initiative in Detroit. I happen to work with a badass team that's going around giving Detroiters internet. So I would be remiss. The people are doing it. So let's, let's actually, as we close, we can um, continue with, with the necessary shout outs. Is there work happening or places and spaces you want your work to be found uh, that we want to shout out for our listeners or attendees? For sure. Right. With the freedom team, the freedom team, um, I'm working to um, get two very, actually three, um, very important pieces of legislation passed around incarcerated pregnant people. Um, So one bill is around um, 
uh, allowing pregnant people to breastfeed. Um, it will support a breastfeeding um, program in prison in Michigan's only women's prison right now. It will uh, allow for a woman who have just given birth to have um, more than 24 hours with her brand new baby. Um, it will abolish shackling um, during transport um, and up to 12 weeks postpartum. Um, and then also it will enact a community-led oversight committee. Um, so where we will have input around what's happening in prisons and also advocate for our folks who are incarcerated the way we need to. But then also in the second, the third piece is um, getting rid of our last mandatory sentence that is on Michigan books, which is the um, mandatory sentencing around felony firearm, which is one of the leading charges that sends black and brown people to prison for their first offense. And so that's the last mandatory sentence on the books and we work on the abolishing and get rid of it. So you can support that work um, by going to freesuwatu.org and also afsc-kite.org. Um, and it's also in the, in the chat. You can check that out and support that work. And we'll have that in the uh, podcast notes as well for those of y'all listening later. Tawana, where, where can you and your work be found in the ways you want to be found? Ashe, just at me on Twitter. I talk a lot. It's at Combs the Poet, C-O-M-B-S-T-H-E, Poet. Um, and you'll hear a lot more about the work I do with Detroit Community Technology Project, as well as our data bodies, which um, we, you know, we're trying to transform and dismantle some of these systems. That's all I'm going to say about that. Ash, is there a way you would like to be found? So especially if there's, you know, anybody who's in Chicago uh, on the call, help us defund the Chicago Police Department, um, sign on to our, our demands. Um, yeah, we're trying to defund the Chicago Police Department by 75% and reinvest uh, those funds into Black communities that have been defunded for decades in, in this city. So yeah, sign on. We'll send updates. We're doing protests. Email your older person, all of that, but sign on and, and we'll, you know, keep you updated. And folks can also follow the Black Abolitionist Network on uh, Facebook and Instagram. We also wanted to just real quick uh, shout out Emily Simons, who is doing our uh, graphics for this session. Uh, we weren't able to connect it so you could see it in real time. But uh, if you check at Ergo Radio on all socials, there will be uh, a, a live illustration graphic of all the brilliant words that were spoken today. Um, and, and a big thanks to Black Youth Project for supporting Unelectable and being a wonderful partner over the, the last year. And of course, to Ally Media Conference and all of y'all yeah, yeah, for coming yeah. through and chopping it up with <laughs> us. Um, like I said, we're at Ergo Radio. You can listen to 250. Uh, the back catalog is rich at this point. Just search A-I-R-G-O on your podcast apps. I'm at Ergo Kiss. I'm at Damon underscore AF. And right now I would encourage folks to check out our new abolition suite that's really talking through some of the bigger ideas that are becoming more prevalent in our political movements today. Thank you all so much for being here uh, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of the conference. I look forward to continuing to learn with you. all Much love to the people. Peace. <laughs>